you. In toil you shall eat it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The earth groans, waiting to be free from its curse. Romans 8.22 For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. The transformed earth is freed from its curse. The river of life will be uncontaminated. Revelation 22.1 He showed me a river of the water of life clear as crystal. Pollution will not be a problem of the new heaven and new earth. The tree of life will bear its fruit uninterruptedly. In the middle of of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And so, uninterruptedly, uninterruptedly, the tree of life is continually bearing its fruit. There will be no harmful effects from eating freely of all that God has provided. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. For, and I think this is extremely significant, the earth will be in a pre-fallen condition only better. I think that is the overarching meta-narrative of the end times. We are on a positive trajectory. God is working out his purposes. My Sunday school class this coming quarter is going to be looking at redemptive history. And our intent is to try to show the the meta narrative, which is the overarching story. The big view of what the scripture is teaching us. And there are significant points Along the, the timeline of God's redemptive history. The first is creation. The second is the fall. And with the fall comes the curse. And with the fall comes an undoing, if you will, of God's purposes. God had created Adam to be made in God's image. And acting as the vice vicar of God, the the vice regent of God. God gave Adam dominion over this earth. And uh, we see what happened as a result of Adam's fall. We're going to be taken back to life like it would have been had Adam not fallen. What it would have been like for Adam to have reigned over this earth in accord with the plan and will of God. So we have these snapshots, if you will, of the Garden of Eden throughout the new heaven and new earth. This tree of life, which was central to the Garden of Eden, is now central to the new heaven and new earth. See, the effects of the curse upon mankind in relationship to the earth will be removed. The curse banished mankind from the delicacies of the garden. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife 
have eaten from the tree about which I command you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, until you shall eat it all days of your life. Both thorns and thistles that shall grow for you. You shall eat of the plants of the field. So he drove out the man. So notice the change from eating from the fruits of the trees of the garden to now you are going to be banished from this beautiful garden. No longer to eat the fruit from the trees, but now you're going to eat from the plants of the field. And you're going to have to till the fields. You're going to have to care for these fields. You're going to have to develop these fields. And it will be by the sweat of your brow. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So now there is a heavenly defense so that people are not able to eat from the tree of life. And Adam is actually banished from the garden and not even allowed to re-enter it. In the new heaven and new earth, there is the opportunity to habitually drink from the pure waters of the river of life and eat freely at all times from the fruit of the tree of life. Revelation 22, 2. In the midst of the street of it and on the other side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and leaves the tree for the healing of the nations. There were no harmful effects of eating from the fruit of this tree. We can eat and enjoy it. This is a description of unmitigated joy and delight. There is no mixed blessings. In Proverbs 19.22 it says, It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Psalm 46.4 There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. And so this is a, a time of unmitigated joy and delight. Three, the river of life and the tree of life are not to be seen as the sources of life in the new heaven and new earth, but rather the benefits of having life in the new heaven and new earth. Revelation 22, 1, and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. In other words, you don't eat of the tree in order to have life. You don't drink from the river in order to have life, but rather it's a product. Because you have life, you're allowed to eat of the tree. Because you have life, you're allowed to drink of the water. You're allowed to enter into all the benefits that comes in having new life in Jesus Christ. In the new heaven and earth, God's reign is perfectly established. Revelation 22, 3. And there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. A. God's reign is perfectly established in his servant's perfect service. And there shall no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. Now these words... And his bond servants shall serve him. That is us. We are his 
bond servants, and we shall serve him. I have number one, there is a simple but profound truth in this verse. And that is simply that we serve God. As opposed to now, when we should be serving him, but our service is certainly less than perfect. It is certainly less than complete. But in new heaven and new earth, that service will be perfected. It's a simple truth. I used here the example of burpee seeds. Um, many of you don't know, uh, can't remember burpee seeds, but burpee was the largest seed company at one time in the world. And they had an ad campaign and they were looking for a slogan for burpee seeds and they invited people to submit suggestions for a slogan. And ultimately they would pick a winner that would get a multitude of awards. So they had all kinds of different slogans come in and one of the slogans was burpee seeds grow. And when they uh, first read that slogan, uh, according to the uh, reports that burpee seeds gave out, they, they kind of laughed at that. It's simplistic. Uh, oh, of course, what do you expect from seeds? But the more they thought about it, they thought, well, that's exactly what you expect from seeds. That's what you want. And so, yes, burpee seeds adopted the slogan, burpee seeds grow. That's what you want from a seed. What do you want from a servant? To serve. And so, in this new heaven and new earth, God's will is perfectly established and we, his people, serve him, his ends. The people of God will serve him as Christ serves him. Willingly, completely, joyfully, and lovingly. The struggle will be over for us. Paul writes in Romans 7.22, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the member of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. And he goes on to say, those things which I would are the things I don't do, and the things that I would do are the things that uh, I don't do. And so Paul sees this struggle. And we can all identify with that struggle of how we want to serve the Lord, and yet we fail him many, many times. We make resolves. We make decisions. We make commitments. We talk about turning over new leaves. We confess our sin. We plead with God to change our hearts, our minds, our attitudes. Help us to be more faithful people of God. And yet we continue to fail. That struggle will be over. There won't be any now inward leading towards sin. There won't be any inner desire for Rebellion. There won't be any selfishness. There won't be any sinfulness whatsoever, but rather a true heart of unmitigated joy and devotion to God. B. God's reign is perfectly established as seen in his servants' perfect fellowship. Revelation 22, 4. And they shall see his face. Number one, we will completely experience the grace of God and benefit from all his mercy. In Exodus chapter 33, this is Moses on the Mount. And Moses pleaded with God. 
for God to reveal his glory to Moses. Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And he that is God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. And then the passage goes on to say that God passed before him and God allowed Moses to see his back. That's metaphorical language for saying that he wasn't allowed to see the full glory of God. He saw the glory of God in a veiled fashion. Then that metaphor even continues on when Moses came down from the mount, if you remember, his face shone. And then he put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not behold That glorious face. It's talking about the limited access and knowledge we have of the Godhead. But you see, that is all going to change. In the words of Revelation 22.4, we're going to see his face. In the book of 1 Corinthians 13.12, We learn that we will have a complete understanding of all things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. We are going to know God completely. I would not say that we're going to know God exhaustively. For we don't become God. We don't become omniscient. We don't become all-knowing. But the mysteries of God are going to be revealed to us. We are going to understand truth. I don't believe we're going to be having Bible studies in heaven. In this new heaven and new earth. There will not be anything more for us to learn about the plan and will and the purpose and character of God. We're going to understand it all. Uh, I think that is one of the most glorious aspects of the new heaven and new earth. When we will finally gain a godly perspective. When we will finally see justice and truth in its glory. Where right now, sometimes we struggle with what God is doing or or why he does it a certain way or, or why doesn't God answer certain prayers? What is God accomplishing on the face of this earth? And we have just snapshots. We have just tidbits of information along the way to help us in our walk with him. Well, one day we're going to be able to connect all the dots. One day the whole picture is going to appear for us. And we're going to understand fully what God was doing. And more than that, we are going to acknowledge the appropriateness, the rightness of all that God has done. We're going to worship him and give him praise for the way in which he has done all things. C. God's reign is perfectly established as seen in the perfect protection of his people. They are sealed from all danger and hardship. 
Revelation 22, 4. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their, their foreheads. The imagery of having a seal on the forehead is to be under the protection of the one represented by the seal. In Ezekiel 9, 4, it says, Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. But to the others, he said, in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. This is talking about the time of the great tribulation. Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children, women, but do not touch any man on whom is the mark. Then, as I list here in Revelation 7, 3 and 9, 4, there is a mark on the forehead of those that would follow the evil one, of those that would identify with Satan. And they are under then Satan's protection. He is not going to harm those, he being Satan, is not going to harm those that are going to identify with him. He's going to seek to harm the children of God. Well, in the new heaven and new earth, there is nothing to harm us. Satan is off the scene once and forever. He's uh, cast in the lake of fire. All that happens at the end of the millennium. But here is the point that God's protection rests upon us forever and Ever. Three, God's protection is enduring while protection of the beast is not. There is nothing to worry about when it comes to the eternal future of the new heaven and new earth. There will never be another fall. There will never be sin entering the new heaven and new earth experience. We will never be out of fellowship with a triune God. Complete, unending, habitual, full fellowship with God forever and ever. D, God's reign is perfectly established as seen in his complete care of his kingdom. There is the image of continual care and there shall no longer be any night. There is a Ongoing metaphor in the word of God between darkness and light. The kingdom of the evil one is called the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of Christ is called the kingdom of light. Jesus came to give us light. He came to give us understanding. He gave, came to give us truth. John tells us in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God sent his son into the world, uh, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. So that they would not come to light lest their deeds would be reproved. They didn't want to have a light of God illumining them because they didn't want their evil deeds to be exposed. Even today... When we think about sin, we think about evil. Oftentimes it's associated with night. People want to do things under the shade of darkness in a clandestine way. People don't want to do it out and open and in broad daylight where everybody's going to see. But, but they want to be able to hide their iniquity from God and from others. Well, 
There's a new heaven and a new earth. There is no hiding of iniquity, for there is no iniquity. There is nothing that we have to fear in being revealed in our lives, for there is nothing untoward to reveal. No secrets. No inner thoughts that we would have to cringe if God were aware. Of course, God is always aware of our inner thoughts, but that mankind would know them. Uh, for there is just constant light. There is also the image of personal care of God. And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them. Not does it just that he illumines the world, but he illumines us as his people. And that illumination, that having light, involves, again, knowing the mind and will of God, knowing him fully, even as we are fully known. And more than that, but walking in that truth. Uh, we read in the word of God that God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, the imagery there is that the uh, children of Israel would actually wear on their feet uh, candles. They, w- they would actually have uh, the, the shoes light up. Not like, what is it, Nike or whatever the kids have today and their, their shoes light up and, and so on. But they put little lights on, uh, on their shoes. Uh, we walk by flashlights. Uh, they light the path. But uh, certainly there's a lot of darkness out there. And the light that it illumines is very short-sighted. We know so little about the will of God. And what God wants from us. Even in daily life, in simple decisions. And we wonder what what God would have us to do. We are going to walk in the full light. And that's why I say we aren't going to need Bible studies anymore. Because we are not going to walk in the light of his word. We're going to walk in the light of the Lamb, that's going to say. We're going to walk in a full knowledge of what God would have us to do at all times. And then we're going to do it. So that we will perfectly serve him. So three, there's the image of the Lamb's glory being perfectly revealed and understood. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there shall no night be there, its gates shall never be closed, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. It has a picture of unending commerce. But notice all the nations, all the peoples on the face of the new heaven and new earth will walk in this light. There will be everyone doing the mind and purpose of God. Psalm 19.1 The heavens are telling the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day for for speech, night to night reveals knowledge. The scripture says that just by looking at creation, we can see that there is a God. 
Romans says, for the invisible things of him, he is invisible. For the invisible things of him are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So it's there without excuse. We can look at creation and see the power of God. We, we, can, we can see the devastations that floods bring. We can see the effects that a scorching sun can have. We can see the power of God. We can look at creation and see the wisdom of God. How he has made all things work together. And creation reveals the glory of God. But in new heaven and new earth, creation no longer reveals. For God himself reveals. No intermediary step. Nothing to be deferred, nothing to be inferred, but rather a full understanding of the glory of God. So that there is no need for a son to reveal that he is light, but he himself reveals that he is light. E. God's reign is perfectly established as seen in his people sharing in all the benefits of his kingdom. We're to live a life of kings. Revelation 22, 5. And there shall no longer be any night and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God shall illumine them and they shall reign forever and ever. The they are the people of God. The they are the ones who are being illumined. The they are you and me. Uh, we are going to reign forever and ever. Many commentators ask the question, who will we reign over? Three. The point of the passage is not that there is a people that we reign over. Rather, the point is that we are not mere subjects of the kingdom, but we are individuals who benefit from the spoils of this kingdom. Let me unpack that for, for just a moment. Uh, we're going to see more of that in, in time to come. But it's a good place to end. Again, in this whole aspect of redemptive history and in creation, when God made Adam and then Eve, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Male and female created he them. And he gave them dominion over this earth. Dominion simply means reign. This was our kingdom. God intended mankind to rule over the earth in its entirety. In its entirety. So they were given authority over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. They were to develop this creation. Uh, they were given a garden. They were to keep it. They were to guard it. They were to develop it. God said there was going to be minerals and so on in, in the book of Genesis. And, and they are to, to mine it. They are to, to uh, oversee it. What we are ultimately reigning over is this earth. And we are, as I see it, engaged in life much like it is now, except without sin. It is back to what this earth would have been like if Adam and Eve had not eaten 
of the tree of good and evil. What God had intended is now going to be fully realized. Our work is going to be meaningful. Our work is going to be joyous. No thorns, no thistles, no sweat of the brow. But just a delight in the exercise of our gifts, in the exercise of our abilities, in our interaction with one another. We're not going to defraud one another. We're not going to steal from one another. We're not going to be envious of one another. But we're going to work in harmony in doing the will of God. We're going to serve him completely uninterruptedly. It's going to be the ideal life and existence. A pre-fallen position yet better. For unlike the pre-fallen condition in which that could be interrupted, this condition will not. And it's the pre-fallen condition but better. Because we looked last week at the New Jerusalem and saw that there is the, the throne of God. There's the biding place. In the Garden of Eden, if you remember, God walked in the garden. And God talked with Adam. After the fall, Adam hides himself. He's, he's ashamed to approach God. He uh, adorns himself with, with uh, fig leaves. And, of course, God ultimately is going to uh, shed blood in order to cover his sin and, and provide him with a, uh, a skin of uh, an animal to uh, clothe his nakedness. But you see, with that comes a um, forfeiting of intimacy with God. He no longer walks with man in the way that he did in the Garden of Eden. But God doesn't just walk with us. God lives with us. God just doesn't talk to us. God shows himself to us. It is a pre-fallen state on steroids. It is all that we could have ever hoped that it would have been. And more and more. Uh, even as Linda mentioned this morning in her testimony, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly all above all that we ask or think. Corinthians says, it has not entered into the, into the heart and man uh, uh, it's not entered into the heart and mind of man what is prepared for those that love him. We can't imagine. I, I get so frustrated in this series because words can't depict. I don't know how to express it. And one reason I don't know how to express it is because I can't fully comprehend it. All I know is it's going to be the most blessed experience that we could ever, ever Desire. Life. In fellowship with one another. And with God. Right now we have just a taste. Just a taste. Uh, John says you. Uh, Jesus says you shall. Uh, 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Uh, in the new heaven and earth, we're going to have perfect love one for another. Uh, we aren't, uh, we don't marry and we're not given in marriage. And one reason is because we're going to have an intimacy with everyone. Not a sexual connotation, but the, the sense that everyone is going to be precious to us. No one's going to be left out. You know, uh, right now you, you think of uh, people that uh, don't have families. You think of people that are, are single. You think about people who've lost loved ones. Uh, none of that. And New Heaven North because there'll be complete and perfect fellowship with each other and with God. Uh, an idyllic situation. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word and help us to understand, comprehend more and more. And uh, may we long for that day in which we are going to be in our final state with you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for its sureness in our hearts and lives because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, oh God, help us to long for that day and to understand more fully what it is you want us to do today as we live in anticipation, as we just begin to taste, as we get a, a small glimpse of what that eternal state would be. Help us to now live more and more in conformity to that final state. Oh, Lord, uh, help us to understand, to walk in the light as we have it, with the limited understanding that we have, with the struggles for obedience that we are under. Lord, help us to grow more and more into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to walk in the light of your truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.